Welcome to Newcastle Going Green, a series of monthly podcasts brought to you by the Newcastle Sustainability Advisory Board. Each episode will give you information about green initiatives and sustainable options you can find around Newcastle. Hear from experts in various fields, coupled with a neighbor's experience with the practice being discussed during each episode. On today's episode, we will focus on the SAB's recent trip to the Millwood Water Treatment Plant with guests Paul Steyer and John Young. Paul is the project coordinator slash assistant manager at the plant, which is an ozone purified water filtration plant. John is the water treatment plant manager in the town of Newcastle, New York. The SAB recently took a tour of this state-of-the-art facility in the town of Newcastle. This plant serves 24,000 residents and of Newcastle and Pleasantville in Westchester County. I'd like to welcome Paul and John to Newcastle Going Green. Hello, Newcastle. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Um, so, you know, we the SAB recently took a tour of the water treatment plant in Millwood and it, and it was it was great. We learned so much. So we're just going to share a little bit about what we learned and then we'll jump into some questions uh, for Paul and John. So as, as you may know, water treatment plants are responsible for removing chemicals, particulates and other organic materials to make water suitable for drinking. The Millwood water treatment plant actually is the product of thousands of years of innovation going back to the most ancient civilizations. And because water is universal, we needed to purify the water, water since, you know, 2000 BC. And so these scientific developments over periods of time would continue as people sought to create cleaner, tastier drinking water. Like, uh, for example, the aqueducts in ancient Rome, experiments done by Sir Francis Bacon. And those experiments explored the ability to remove salt from seawater. And by the 1700s, we had, you know, we had made a huge stride in technology with water filters now being created for domestic use made out of wool, sponge, and charcoal. And around the same time, the first water treatment plant was created, um, and that, that was using slow sand filtration. So in 1854, uh, it was a huge turning point for water filtration with the spread of co uh, cholera being shown to correlate with water cleanliness. And so this is when we saw the first government regulated regulation of water and the USA started to build large sand filters and, and they used water chlorination to in, interrupt the spread of illness. And now water treatment plants use various methods to process water, which we'll talk about later, such as ultrafiltration, which is when water goes through a filter membrane with very small pores, reverse osmosis which is when uh, water treatment plants use this for recycled uh, or salt water for drinking. And then we also have chemical disinfectants such as chlorine, chloramine, or chlorine dioxide. And that's just to kill any of the remaining parasites, bacteria, or viruses. And so in this specific treatment plant, we, they also use UV light and ozone and pH regulation as well, which improves taste and ensures that the disinfectants are continuing to be potent. So I think we'll jump right into the questions, Maxine. I'd love to, we'd love to hear from John and Paul about, you know, specifics of what we learned. And we really want to just, you know, dive in. We want to dive into the water treatment. Exactly. Plant. There, there you go. And I know we can't dive in, but we saw pretty cool things uh, at that plant that, that uh, it was, it was wonderful to see how this all works. So uh, I'm going to start off with John um, just, just to get, 
little info, background info. When was the Newcastle water treatment plant built and when was it updated? The water treatment plant was, um, construction began in 1992. Uh, the water went on online in uh, September 1993. Okay, what was the most important feature of that update? Uh, the most important feature was our ozonation system. We use ozone as our primary disinfectant to destroy uh, bacteria. And how, how, I mean, people don't know what ozonation means. <laughs> what, what exactly is that process? The ozonation process works by taking air from outside. It go, goes through a uh, desiccant dryer where the moisture is removed from, from the air. From there, the very dry air goes through an uh, electrical field in the ozone generator. Uh, that electrical field will split some of the uh, O2 molecules. Um, and what happens there is the ones that are split attach themselves to the o O2 molecules that aren't split and you form O3. And the O3 is then re released in the tank um, uh, and this disinfects the water as it travels through. And that's important, disinfecting the water. I, people don't realize that all in various parts of the world, drinking water is, is sparse and people walk for miles to get water and to bring it back to villages. And, it, and it's tough. And we turn on the tap here and we kind of take it for granted that uh, water is going to come out and it's, it's going to taste, taste good. So in terms of, uh, Paul, in terms of uh, filtration and, and step, actual steps, I know I just, we just heard about the ozonization. Uh, what, what's the process? Is it similar? Is it the same thing? in terms of filtration? We have multiple barriers to reduce disinfection uh, needs and contaminants. The first one is our dissolved air flotation. And we were the first plant in the US to use floated air to remove a lot of the particulates from the waters. And those particulates could be uh, leaves and fish, but primarily it's, you know, it's germs and viruses. We add a, a chemical that coagulates or clumps things together in the water. So you're clumping the germs and viruses in one spot. Then we're adding like a, a, a milkshake of, of air and it pushes all these suspended masses that are clumped together up to the top where they can be scraped off. Mm. So what's left after that is clarified water, which then goes to our ozone disinfection. And the town chose uh, ozone disinfection because it's very, very strong oxidant and it reduces cryptosporidium, which can't be readily killed by chlorine. So at the time, it was the best available technology. Right. So after it goes through disinfection, it then goes to our, our uh, filters, in which the very minute and last bits of suspended masses are, are captured in the filters. Well, in terms of COVID, how did that affect the plant? Did it affect the, I mean, what, what connection because you're speaking of viruses and then you're also speaking of things in, in the water that's and the source of the water also where let's start with that first and then go into COVID where does the water come from literally where does it come from our water comes from the Ashokan Reservoir in the Catskill Mountains okay and does it go through any pro a process like for instance we when, when when it has to be shut down which happened recently what's the alternative source our backup supply would be the new Croton Aqueduct. Okay. So with respect to, again, COVID, is there any 
trace? Is there anything that's in the water from the virus that's noticeable that you know of? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Yes, I mean, um, you know, the, the COVID is a, a airborne respiratory uh, illness, so it's not really doesn't really survive in like the rainwater. Fortunately, mm -hmm. our, our water sources are are protected by the by the DEP. They maintain the watershed areas around these reservoirs. So pretty much all that's mostly in there is, is rainwater and occasionally we'll get some runoff from um, um, high snow events. And, um, you know, leaves blow, blow there in the fall, but there isn't actually a lot of opportunity for diseases like that to gain a uh, foothold in the um, reservoir system. Right, because I know at the plant we saw this, uh... This, this layer on top of this kind of goopy, you know, brownish stuff, and and then at the end it was it was I don't know how what the percentage was versus at the end the water was so clean it was amazing after yeah, it went through the about, entire. Uh, I'm sorry, we're getting about ninety five percent removal of turbidity after the dam process. About how many percent so again? After the first part of the clarification, when you saw that like that that sludge being created. Mm -hmm. That is the place where we're, we're coagulating or clumping together um, all the organics that might be present in the reservoir system, whether, whether it got in the reservoir system or um, was knocked down um, onto the surrounding hillsides and, and run in. But you know, primarily that's, you know, um, leaves, fish matter, um, geese are flying over. So, you know, get some, um, some associated diseases with them. But most of that's captured right there in, in our first stage of clarification. Right, it, it, it's it's really fascinating to see and it, and it does an amazing job. In, in terms of taste, I mean, the water here tastes amazing. Uh, and it's one of the best tasting waters I've experienced in, in even the, the US, because a lot of times you, you, you taste the chlorine in a lot of areas. And I know we still use some chlorine, but how do you get it to the point of, uh, the taste being good to the, to, I think someone wanted to, to, to bottle it and call it Chappaqua gold or something once. But I mean, I heard that rumor going around. How does that work in terms of the, the taste not getting the fish, the fishiness and the, and the whatever droppings or whatever? Yeah, I think that all begins uh, uh, with the coagulation process, adding the right amount of chemicals, um, um, effectiveness of our DAF system um, to remove all that organic matter. Eddie Ozone, they all contribute to making water taste the way it does. Yeah, the water tastes pretty good. So how, go ahead. Fortunately for Newcastle that with the um, selection of ozone primary disinfection, we don't have to have a carryover, a high carryover of chlorine in our distribution system to reduce any um, um, potential um, infestation of anything from our our um, distribution system pipes. So the, the ozone has already done the, the majority of the work. So we only need to add a trace of chlorine. Mm -hmm. In addition to uh, that, the plant was built, um, they also uh, realigned a lot of their um, distribution lines out in the system. Right. So how, in terms of in, environmental concerns and, and waste water and waste, how does the plant handle waste what happens to that well we, yeah Paul can answer that um there is a misconception that drinking water plants 
have a discharge. Our discharge is actually purified drinking water. We don't have like a waste stream that leaves this plant. So we're not discharging anything into our, our streams or um, the tributaries nearby. Right. Simply remove the sludge and it's done. All the water, which is purified, goes out to our homes. Okay. So that's good to know, because uh, I was always curious about what happens, you know, with with that and what 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 gets done with it, if anything. In terms of uh, the the plant operation itself and it being uh, environmentally friendly, I know uh, in terms of consumption of of the energy at the plant, there I know there is a solar wall. Uh, can can one of you give us uh, a little background of, of that solar wall and, and how much energy is helping save? Yeah, the solar wall was built, uh, put in service in uh, 2011. And uh, I mean, what uh, is it? What is it? I mean, it's a, it, to me, it's this giant wall. It's hard to discern, but it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing that a solar wall exists in our water treatment plant. Uh, so. How does it save, how is it saving energy? I mean, how much well, energy does it save? Well, an easy analogy is if you have a black car and it's a hot day and you roll the windows up, what goes, what happens inside? You, it gets hot very quickly. Gets, gets hot, yes. <laughs> so we, we have, we essentially have a brown wall, wall, but it does the same thing. The sun heats up uh, the metal panels, air is slowly being um, bled into the wall and it's getting hot. And all we do is then, um, allow that air to enter our HVAC building system, and um, it reduces the amount of oil that we burn. I think the original estimate was what close to uh, the, the estimate was close to about two thousand nine hundred dollars a year. Mm, that's nice. Oh, yeah, no, no, I think gallons. Yeah. So, so now you get two thousand gallons times six, eight, nine. Who knows where this is going? It becomes real money real fast. And um, when, that, when the solar panel was designed, the engineer said that you'll be able to raise the temperature of the air 40 degrees in the winter. And we were actually really, no, that's hard to believe. But um, it's been pretty consistent on a, a sunny day. We will raise the temperature 40 degrees so we can bring that hot air into our, our system already. Wow, that's that's a wonderful idea. You wonder why, I mean, is, is this something that's being done in other plants or other places that you know of, or is it unique to us right now? Tell me about the fun, I think John. it's a unique to us. And, uh, it's such a simple process and it works so well. It's just amazing. Hmm. But, uh, I also want to mention that uh, the town applied for a grant back in uh, 19 uh, or 2010 and they received a grant that paid uh, the uh, construction of this uh, solar wall right that that helps and also possibly uh thinking of putting solar panels on the roof is that still something in in the works i i think so i'm not positive but i know that our first project that paul's working on right now is to uh is to uh, have the uh, roof replaced it's uh, 30 years old needs to be replaced so after we get the roof replaced um See if that was hard with an uh, idea of putting up solar panels. Hmm. Well, wow, right. I think it's... Uh, side note: um, we did pilot a a small solar panel array, um, which operated for many years. It was just in one section of the roof, and it was the you know the old technology. And yet, um, 
I used to tease John Well, at least it's probably powered a microwave, but it, it actually <laughs> um, makes makes it you know a good contribution contribution. And I think if we did you know a larger expansion with modern solar panels, we'd get a lot more. Right. So in addition to having amazing water quality, where you're you're incorporating uh, environmental techniques that that help save energy, which is a win-win, I think. And again, I wish. Uh, uh, that could be, you know, brought out to other places because it's a it's a wonderful idea. Uh, I had I know on the tour I, I was the one who asked a question about security at the plant. Security seems to be something in a lot of people's minds, especially with hacking and outside attacks of things. We want to make sure our water's safe. Uh, how is the security system uh, operated? I mean, what what uh, fail safe measures do you have? Uh, we are continuously required to upgrade our, our um, cybersecurity program. And we have just recently met with New York State Bureau of Homeland Protection. Homeland Security in Albany, New York. Homeland Security and, and gave us some, um, some better pointers on what we can do to even stiffen up our um, security here at the plant. Right, so I take it, it's it's a 24 hour operation. Every someone's there all the time, correct? Right. Yeah. So that way, that way you make make sure that that everything is is going well. So, in in terms of other ways people can conserve water, do you have any suggestions? I know in California now that they're working with gray water, which is using water that comes through the shower or rain barrels and uh, and the U.S. and in places of Australia, what what water saving tips can you give the Newcastle residents? Some of the, the largest usage of our, our waters during the summer when there is a lot of irrigation. Um, in the past, um, um, many residents would have sprinklers that came out automatically. So they've been upgrading to moisture sensing um, devices so they won't be you know spraying water in the rain but that has reduced our, our uh, water output already so more technology I think is a suitable response is it you know apply technology for for lawn water whenever possible right can can in terms of water use suggestions uh I mean in LA I have a lot of relatives and they're being limited literally timed to take showers for three minutes or, four or five minutes. I mean, how do we get people to be a little more, you know, involved in their actions for, for saving water? Is this something uh, that we can, I mean, if it ever gets to a drought situation here, you know, we're gonna have to buckle down. So what, what do you suggest in terms of what are use for, you know, everyday things in life? Uh, yeah, I would say uh, watering lots. <laughs> One thing that's not really necessary. Watering the what? Lawns. The grass. Let the grass burn. Let it turn brown. It'll come back in the in the spring. So um, less less planting more ecologically sensible uh, landscape. Don't plant um, obviously those those things which need a lot of water constantly, like you know, tropical plants. Um, native plants do quite well even when it's dry for a month. Right. So, so we can, we can um, you know really look at what we're planting and why we can you know, reduce the need for basically irrigation. That's, that's the big thing. 
Yeah. And another thing is pesticides. I mean, in runoff, do you find the runoff from pesticides has increased over the years for, from usage on lawns? Well, we receive our water from the Ashokan Reservoir, which is uh, the DEP monitors. Um, I, I have not seen any increase in the pesticides in our water. That's good to know. That's good to know. So what on tour, I know you give tours. What was one of the strangest questions you ever got about the plant? We were asked this same question repeatedly. And um, I'm always baffled because their, their, their first question is, has anyone ever fallen in? <laughs> and, and the answer is, the answer, wow. Well, just that one kid, but he was already right. He went home wet. No, but, um, <laughs> no, one has, no one has fallen in. But we have um, had classes um, drop a variety of different things. Um, pencils, um, pagers. Mine's still missing from a long time ago. Pagers. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Some cell phones. Um, and a green plastic dinosaur, which ended up on top of one of our filters. You, you saw it on a green dinosaur? <laughs> That's yeah, one, really... one that you'd have on, on the end of a, a pencil like an eraser. It was oh. well disconnected by that point. Wow. <laughs> that that's a funny thing. Of all the things to find, you can find uh <laughs> you can find a green dinosaur. You never know what you're gonna find in, in the waters here. Wow. So anyway. I mean, the third uh, graders give tours, they always they're always fascinated about the uh, by the sludge and they always they always want to know what it is. Mm -hmm. So I have to explain to what the sludge is because I think it might be something else. Right. Uh, just another question, just a quick question, uh, uh, just on climate. And I know when we were there, we've been having some crazy storms uh, of late. Uh, and I know that there's flooding and stuff. How, how are you guys handling this more extreme weather to protect the plant to make sure it stays in good shape? Well, that is a good question. And it is an ongoing concern. Um, We've had flooding in the past. We've taken some precautions to try to um, maintain the plant's resistance of, of uh, water coming backwards from the creek and um, flowing into the plant doors and um, other areas. And because of the more frequent um, thunderstorms, we had a lot of power interruptions, which are never good for a system based on so much electrical usage. Right. So things, you know, we have to uh, adapt at this point to, to, to climate issues and uh, right. certainly our water, you know, treatment is, is part of that plan, I guess. So any, any other info you can give our residents before we uh, turn it over to, to Aaron? Just um, the, uh, also to add to what Paul was saying, uh, the plan was designed with a lot of redundancy um, so that we have backup equipment available in the event of emergency. Right. Well, uh, redundancy is important, especially on, on every level. So, but when you see the plant and you see what, what, what you guys do and, and the work that you put into keeping it, you know, safe and keeping our water clean, uh, I, I thank you so much for, for everything you've done uh, to keep, keep it all going and water. keep our water safe. Exactly. So, yeah. So Aaron, uh, again, thank you guys. And Aaron will, is going to take us out. And keep 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 doing all the terrific work you're doing. It's mo most appreciated. Yeah, I think you know Maxine said it perfectly. We need to just 
you know, continue to conserve our water, especially during, you know, this summer is going to be super hot and water is not, you know, luckily for us, we have access to clean drinking water, but not everybody does. So it's important that we recognize that and we don't waste water because wasting water is the worst thing that we could do. Uh, thank you so much, uh, John and Paul, for joining us today on today's episode of Newcastle Going Green. For more info, you can visit the SAB section of the Newcastle website at www.mynewcastle.org forward slash 303 forward slash sustainability dash advisory dash board. You can also visit the Sustainability Advisory Board's Facebook page or email us at sab at mynewcastle.org with any and all questions or ideas. Thank you to Alicia Malloy for all of her help behind the scenes. I'm Aaron Silver, along with Maxine Margot Rubin, and we'll see you next time.